0: Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. I want us to, uh, we've been looking each week at a different uh, attribute of God. This week I want us to consider grace, the grace of God. Uh, There was this uh, brother who had a a beautiful sister. And all the time people were saying, "You man, your sister is really beautiful. And he would kind of, you know, give her a glance and say, whatever. You know, typical brother. He just didn't get it until the day of her wedding. And she's dressed as elegantly as she'll ever be dressed. And he kind of just takes a glance and says, you know, my sister is really beautiful. And I didn't know. Now, you and I are the brother and the sister is the grace of God. Many times we hear about this sister and people tell us, it's really, it's really cool, it's really great, it's really awesome. And we say, whatever. We sing a song like Amazing Grace and we often don't really stop and, and contemplate how amazing is grace. It might hit us somewhere down the road that it really is amazing grace. But a lot of times we kind of go through the religious motions and we miss the significance of God's grace. So I want us to just focus in on that this morning. 2 Kings 5 is an entire chapter that unpacks for us the omnipotent, outrageous, offensive, obscured grace of God. Those are characteristics of grace we sometimes just kind of let slide. But I want us to think this morning just about the grace of God and how it's revealed for us in 2 Kings 5. So as you look at it, it starts with a story of a leper. His name is Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's look here first at this omnipotent grace of God. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram. Now just stop there and think, okay, what's going on? This is not a Jewish story. It's not a story about people in the church. This is somebody outside the church. This is somebody who's the captain of the army of Aram. Aram's another name for Syria. Syria is that growing nation at this point that comes and um, destroys Israel and takes them away to exile. So here's this captain of the growing biggest nation army in the world that we're talking about. Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Now stop and think about this story. So here's the captain. He says, says, I'll just take a few of the guys and we'll go down here and wipe this tribe out comes back let's let's go do that again he's a powerful valiant warrior he's highly respected and on one of these trips he actually goes into Israel before they fight all out with them and take them and he goes in and what soldiers typically do capture women and he captures this this little Jewish girl from Israel and takes her back to be one of his servants He's highly respected, very wealthy captain. He's got a household of servants, many of them perhaps he captured like her. But I want you to begin to contemplate the significance of this little girl in his household. She is from Israel. She's a worshiper of God, and she's going to this non-Christian captain's home in a different land because she's been captured. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with me. Excuse me, we're with the prophet who is in Samaria. Now Samaria was the capital of Israel. Then he would cure him of leprosy. You could stop and have a message on the ministry of this little Jewish girl. How even though she was captured and became a slave, she she had compassion, she had love for her master, how she wants to minister to him. He says, You know, I realize I'm his servant. I can't really speak to him, but boy, we've got a church over in Samaria. And when the prophet preaches and teaches up, people get healed. That I wish my master could get plugged in and he could be healed. He said, You know, so she's, she's there as a servant, ministering, witnessing of the true God. Verse 4 Naaman went in and he told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Aram said, Go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. But consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. All right, let's stop and catch that together. Bring it together. Uh, Naaman finds out that there's a prophet in Israel that can heal. So he goes to his only other person in charge, that's the king, goes to the king and says, you know, basically, I need leave, I need to go over there to Israel I need to get healed, and the king says, "I do better than that. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel that you're coming." And the king of Israel gets this letter and says, "What? I mean, you think I can cure? You think Israel can cure you of leprosy? Only God could do something like that. I can't, I can't believe you're asking me. It's like they got their wires crossed a little bit." And he says, "This can't be a true request. Nobody asks to be." of leprosy so you must be saying oh so you're not going to do it we're just going to come fight you this must be your attempt to start the war and you're coming after us and the king's tearing his clothes he didn't know what he's going to do what's god doing what's god doing notice, did you did you did you notice verse one how did naaman get this place he was a great man with his master and highly respected. Don't miss this because. Because by him the Lord had given victory. A ram was victorious because God was sovereignly giving them victory in battle. He was giving Naaman victory in battle. He was raising up Naaman to the place that Naaman would have all the power and authority he needed to go into foreign lands and get whatever he wanted. God was the one that gave him this might and this power. And it's not by accident that God brings a little Jewish girl into his life who knows about the word of God. And knows about the power of God. And communicates that word to him in such a way that he knows he needs to be in the house of God. He needs to be with God's people. He needs to hear that prophet. He needs that healing that only God can provide. That's unbelievable, gracious power being displayed by God here. Uh, Sometimes we think that You know, God's grace only comes to a select group. A lot of cults have gotten started thinking that they alone have something we don't have. The Mormons would say, We alone have the right grace, or Jehovah's Witness, we alone have the right grace. We do that with denominations. The Baptists really have the grace. The Presbyterian really have the grace. Or somebody else, independents, non-denominations. We sometimes think we can contain the grace of God. Here we have a story where nobody's containing it. It's omnipotent. It can go to other nations. It can go into non-Christian homes. It can go into non-Christian armies. And raise somebody up to show them God is your healer your hope and you need his grace that's what's being demonstrated here sometimes we forget how awesome is it that that God I mean what's going on here I mean could you can you imagine God raising up somebody from Afghanistan to bomb a tower in New York to send a mission team to Iran just to minister to a wounded soldier. God does, that's the kind of thing that's happening here. God does that kind of stuff just to give his grace. Now let me put it on an even more personal level. One of these days, it was back a while. I knocked on the door of Roxanne Walker here in town and the reason I had to knock on her door this was before social media if we had social media I could have just checked the right sites I would have known everything I needed to know but I called and called and called and couldn't get through to her and there was there was no way to text or anything you couldn't even be in the driveway and say I'm out here it would be okay to come in you have to knock on the door back in those days I know that's ancient some of you don't know about it but anyway. That's what I was doing. I was knocking on Roxanne's uh, door, and the reason was because the week before she had given birth to her little son at 28 weeks gestation. So he's in the he's in the neonatal unit in Greenville. And she had come home for a little while just to get some rest. You know, Aaron's about a pound and a half at this point. You know, you can you can hold him in the palm of your hand. And he's on life support. And as I'm knocking on the door, she's on the phone. I didn't know that at the time. She's on the phone with the hospital. The hospital says, I know you just got home. I know you need rest. But Aaron's taking a turn for the worse. And he may die in the next two hours. You need to come back to the hospital. And she says, okay. Hangs up the phone and I knock. She's like, good grief. What else is going to happen? You know, not knowing what's behind the door. She opens the door, and I, I ne- I'll never forget her words. It was like, wow, you are God's grace to me. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, what? And she explains the situation to me. She says, God has sent you. This is, I usually say stuff like this. She was saying this to me God has sent you to pray. Aaron, for Aaron's life. I said, okay, let's bow right here in front of your couch and pray. And so we prayed. And Aaron's situation completely turned. The hospital calls back. He's a healthy, strong man today. Uh, But you just look back and say, at yourself, could it be possible that I couldn't get through on the phone, that I had to knock on the door, that I had to show up? How did I time that? Did I get there at just the right time? I'm just a little preacher, and yet God wanted to use a simple prayer to heal a little one and a half pound boy because it mattered to him. And it mattered. To his family, do you not see the omnipotence, the greatness of the grace of God to reach us right where we are? And literally, He can move heaven and earth to do that. There's there's no nation too big, there's no army too strong to keep Him from doing what He's doing. More practical, stop and think: What dark hole are you in right now? Are you in a dark place? There is no place that God can't get to you. you so well, I'm in this non Christian, God forsaken land. Doesn't matter. You can be in Iran. You can be in Afghanistan. You can be anywhere and God can get you. Remember Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. God's hand is not so short that he cannot save. And his ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. Wherever you are, whosoever believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's omnipotent grace. That's what was shown to Naaman. Well, let's go further. It gets offensive to him, which is interesting. God is bringing him grace... And he gets mad. Verse 8. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here's an invitation. The prophet, the preacher, says, Let him come. You want to come? Come on. I don't know why the king's tearing his clothes. I don't know why the king's getting all upset. I don't know why. People don't understand. The power is with God. If You you want to come to... Get to know God, come on. So verse 9, so Naaman realizes he's got the wrong man. He shouldn't have been going to the king anyway. Should have been going to the preacher. So verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you'll be clean. Naaman was furious, And he went away and he said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper, or not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Notice Naaman here. He's offended. He's greatly offended. The word rage, he's getting rage, he's furious. Uh, Naban, I mean, just get the picture. He shows up at your house. You're the preacher. Shows up at your house, knocks on your door, and you get your servant, say, Oh, I know who it is. It's it's Naaman. He's come to be cured of leprosy. Just go give him the message that if he'll go dip in the Jordan River seven times, he'll be healed. And Naaman says, What? Does he not know who I am? Don't, don't miss that, that little phrase. He said, I, I thought surely, verse 11, he would come out to me. He said, Does he not know who I am? I'm am I'm probably the most powerful person on the planet. He can tell by my horse. There's lots of horses here. We're at his front door. He can see my army. He should know who I am I am, you know, sitting high and mighty, and he doesn't come to me. I thought he would surely come out and bow down, you know, wave a little wand, do a little hocus-pocus, say a prayer, and then I would be healed. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even come out. He sends a messenger and just says, go, go to the Jordan River. The Jordan River's a dirty river. I there's cleaner rivers. Why does he send me there? You, how do you get clean in a dirty river yeah that can't happen it's just he's just furious he's upset Uh, he's not getting grace the way he wants it verse 13 then the servants came near and they spoke to him and said my father had the prophet told you to do some great thing would you not have done it how much more then when he says wash and be clean so you know it's kind of reluctantly so he went down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What's the problem? What's the point? The point is, sometimes we don't get God's grace the way we want it. We want it our way. Naaman wanted it his way, but that's not God's way. 1 Peter 5, 5, principle all the way through the Scripture God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Naaman walks in as a proud man. He is somebody, and he expects grace to come to him because he he is somebody. He's doing the right things. And God says, not going to happen that way. We're going to have to lower that pride a little bit. Matter of fact, I think I'll send you to a dirty river instead of a clean river. You, you need to humble yourself, and sometimes we forget that principle—that to come to God we must come as a humble servant. Hum- humility is required for grace. You know, I've had I've had many non-Christians tell me, you know, I, David, I came to your church, you didn't see me, you didn't talk to me, or whatever. I'm not coming back. Okay, why not? Because people didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated. You didn't acknowledge me. You didn't recognize me. Other people didn't see me. You didn't acknowledge my gift. You, uh, people said they were praying for me. What, do they think I'm a project? Why are they praying for me? You pity me. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm not coming back. I said, oh, okay. When people come to me, or let's put it this way. When Naaman comes to God and says, at least I thought you would treat me like this. You would do this. You would do this. You would do this. This is the way I wanted to receive grace. What does God do? Wah, wah, wah. Get over it. You don't like it? Go home. That's what God told Naaman. Go. It's his servants that had enough sense to say, Father, don't you realize you're missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime here? By going home before just dipping seven times in a river? Come on. Give it a shot. What do you have to lose? But a lot of people will just go home and say, if I can't have God's grace on my terms, I don't want it. And God says, "Wha wah, wha," Because God's Grace is offensive. It doesn't come because you are somebody. It comes because you're nobody, because you're insignificant, because you're in a desperate place in need of it. The good news is that God comes to us when we are dead in our sins and unable to do anything for ourselves. If you think you can still buy your way into heaven, you can still... I mean, think about buying your way into heaven. The servant says, if... if, if um, if, if God had told you something great to do, you would have done it. Let's suppose God's message in this book was, if you want to go to heaven, give the church $1 million. Everybody who gives the church $1 million will get into heaven. That'd be a great thing. You say, okay, I'll do it. That's what I'll spend my life doing. If I have to give all of my mortgage, all of my house, all of my, if I have to give everything, I'll live in a tent because I want to spend the rest of my life in heaven. So I'm going to make sure I tally up a million dollars before I die. If God asked you to do a great thing, you said, you would do it. But He doesn't ask for a great thing, He asks for nothing. And you get offended. It's crazy. You would be foolish not to receive the grace of God. All who receive him, he gives the power to be treated like sons of God and to live with him forever. And we bring nothing. Salvation is by grace alone, through no works of our own. And Naaman says, okay, if that's what it is, so he dips in the water, he gets healed. Sometimes we get really offended and turned off that it's as simple as receiving Christ. You know, if 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 God were to say something like trust in Christ and you'll be saved. The blood of Christ covers your sin. Just trust in him. You say well, surely I thought he would acknowledge my gift. Surely I thought, you know, he would do certain things for me. Surely I thought he would want me to do this, this, this. God says, wah, wah, wah. It's not none of that. Trust in the Lord. I, I know it sounds crazy. The blood of Christ can cleanse you from your sins, like the Jordan River could actually cleanse me of leprosy. I know it sounds crazy, and I know you get offended by it. But the good news is that that's all God asks. Is to receive him and bring nothing but your sin. Well, outrageous becomes this grace. Outrageous in transformation. So we've got Naaman, who's a little reluctant to get in the river, but he does get in the river. He does get healed. And then notice this outrageous transformation. Verse 15. When he returned to the man of God, so he can't he can't believe it. He goes in the river, he gets healed, he's running back to the preacher. I gotta tell a story. This is unbelievable. With all of his company, and he came and he stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know there is a God in all, in all the earth. Uh, but there is no God in all the earth, but here, right here, in Israel. So please, take a present from your servant now. It's like you wouldn't take it before. Would you take it now out of gratitude? Verse 16, but he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, If not... Please let your servant at least be given two mules uh, a load of earth, uh, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice other gods but to the Lord. Now what's going on there is in Exodus uh, 20, God tells them how to build an altar, and they built an altar out of uh, dirt. So somehow, perhaps, the little Jewish girl, remember her, who's been witnessing to Naaman, uh, says, you know, your problem is, you don't have a true church around here. You don't, nobody worships the true God. He uh, said, so what would it take? You know? And maybe she's told him the story. Well, you, you, know, you need the house of God here. You need to build an altar for God here. So somehow he has this knowledge that he needs to be now a church planner and he needs to plant the church and have an altar of God back in Syria. Uh, and so he's asking for that. He says, I gotta go back. I'm the captain of the army. Uh, I can't stay here, but this is where the true God is. If you won't let me worship here, can I go worship there? My goal is to worship now the true God. Can I, can I start another church? Can I plant? And he's told, yeah, that's fine. Verse 18, in this matter, he says, may the Lord pardon your servant. And when your master goes into the house of Remnon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Remnon, When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And so Elijah said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him some, dis- some distance. So in other words, he's saying, you know, I am now a transformed man. He says, that's crazy. Because one of my jobs is to hold the king's hand as he bows down and worships this false idol. He says, so I have to do that. That's my job. He says, I get that. He says, I get the fact that when your king's worshiping Rimmam, that you're st- you're now worshiping the 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 triune, holy God of the Bible. He says, I get that. Go do your job. God sees your heart. You're going to be fine. But Naaman wants to worship the true God, and he wants to worship him right. He wants to to, to basically build a church there in Syria. Just outrageous transformation is happening to to Naaman, and I don't want you to miss it. Uh, Let me show you a verse. Look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus refers to this in one of his sermons. Luke 4. Twenty-four through twenty-seven. This is not some obscure Old Testament passage. This is this is one that uh, Jesus wanted to highlight. Luke four, verse twenty. Well, let's see. Let's let me jump down. Verse twenty-four, and he said, "Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown." But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years or six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And then there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. This is offensive. Jesus says, I want you to understand something about this omnipotent grace of God. He says, there were a lot of people in the church who needed to be cleansed and healed. But the grace of God wasn't moving there. The grace of God went to Syria and healed Naaman. There were a lot of other lepers. There were there were Christian lepers that needed healing. God sent his grace to a non-Christian, to Naaman. Does that offend you? And people say, yes, it does offend me. It's offensive. I thought you would do something for me. Again, the message is God's grace comes, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It says Sometimes we miss this, that God transforms people through Simple grace given to humble people. And sometimes we need to see that we don't have a, a market on it. That our God is the God of every nation, tribe, and tongue. That sometimes His joy and plan is to save someone in Syria. But if He brings His grace to us, how important that is. Sometimes we we think that that. God's grace is like our mascot. You know, it's, it's ours. And we miss how God goes to every nation, tribe, and tongue and says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And he was outrageously saved, transformed. He's, he's, he's in charge of idol worship. And yet now he wants to, to worship the one true God And he wants to worship him in holiness, without hypocrisy. And he's told by Elijah, you're going to be fine. Go do what you got to do, and worship the one true God. Well, what do we do with this message? We tend to do what Gehazi does, the next guy in the story. We obscure it, verse 20. But Gehazi, he's the servant of Elisha. So he's the man who probably came out and gave the message go, Dip in the Jordan River. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him, take something from him. So Gehazi pursues Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? So he doesn't have a big, mighty horse. He has a big chariot and all these soldiers around him. And verse 22, Gehazi said, All is well, my master has sent me. Is that true? No, lie. He starts lying right here, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophet have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Is that true? No, another lie. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. So Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. So he's just received a gift that is so large, it takes two soldiers to carry it. Two bagfuls of money. Two changes of clothing. And all that goes with that. I mean, that's two times, probably 20 times, I don't know what it was. I mean, it's it's a bunch. Um, It's going to have Gehazi set for life. Verse 24, when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them in the house. In other words, he hid them in his home. And he sent them in away, and they departed. And But when he had uh, went in, and then he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Uh, nowhere. Like, lie, lie, lie. Verse 26, then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you? when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? So he he was getting enough money for all of that, or that was part of the gift too. Verse 27, therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper. As white as snow. Why does God reject Gehazi's actions? Don't miss verse sixteen. I we, he, right in the middle of verse sixteen, Elijah, Elijah said, "I will take nothing." Gehazi heard that. It was emphatic. Naaman says, "I want to give a gift." He's probably got a million dollars worth and ten changes of clothes. I mean, that's. Probably 10 years worth of clothing in those days. And he wants to just unload that on Elisha. And Elisha says, no, I don't want any of it. I will take nothing. Why? Because I want you to get the message that it's grace plus nothing. It's grace for nothing. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 7 through 9. It talks about us being saved. Sometimes we, I I just love verse 7, Ephesians 2, verse 7. One of the reasons God wants to save us to begin with. Ephesians 2, verse 7 says, So that, so you're saved by grace, um, beginning verse 4, so that, here's the purpose, the reason, verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Elisha is, is proving that point in Second Kings 5. He says, I will take nothing. The reason you are being transformed, the reason you are being given grace, is so that God can show the surpassing greatness of his grace. It's not to exalt you, it's to exalt God and the greatness of his grace. So we'll take nothing, because you need to get this message clear and simple. Gehazi's thinking, dude, it's, it's millions of dollars here. We can't just say no to that. We're never going to meet anybody wealthier than this. So he waits till he thinks nobody's looking, they've gone a great distance, He thinks his master's not looking, and he runs. And he comes up with this story that, you know, maybe I just need a couple changes of clothing, just a little gold and silver. Naaman is very willing to give. He had all he could handle. And so he gives it. And Elisha makes it very clear. You messed up. You knew you weren't supposed to do that. I asked you not to do that. We've probably had this talk before, the whole mention of vineyards and stuff. Like, I knew you wanted stuff. But God doesn't want us to get it that way. And you've, what have you done? You've obscured the grace of God. So let me ask you, do you ever obscure God's grace? God has outrageously saved you and changed you, transformed you. And what is is your story? Well, one day I decided I, I just needed to clean up my act, and I needed to go to church, and I needed to read my Bible, and I needed to walk the aisle. I needed to do something. And it's all about I, I did, I did, I did, I did, fill in the blank. And God says, no, you didn't. I didn't take a thing from you. You didn't bring anything to the table but sin. It was grace. Salvation was something for nothing. Don't obscure it because the very purpose of your salvation is to show forth the surpassing riches of grace. It's not about you, it's about God and his goodness to save sinners. What did you do? You didn't do anything but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ christ and who gave you the faith faith is a gift of god so that you would not boast so you took the gift of faith and you believed in christ and you were changed in the story something for nothing so do we obscure god's grace gehazi did and was greatly afflicted so that he would get the message well some action steps I put down on your outline. What, what's your takeaway from the doctrines of grace? One, when you really get it, it should lead you to ceaseless praise. You, praise, you, you've, got nothing, you've got something for nothing. Wow. You've got eternal salvation, and you did absolutely nothing for it. It's costing you nothing. Praise God. Nothing else is like it. That's why we come and we gather and we worship. We, we want an opportunity. Just let me give God praise. Because nothing has changed me but his grace. Second, uh, throw off our careless pride. If, if we do bring, think we bring something to the table, repent of that. Get rid of that. It's not about us. We need to learn to throw that pride down. We need to think about, number three, our, cautious, our presentations. Be cautious. Sometimes it's, you know, we want our kids to believe in Christ, but sometimes, it, son, you better, you better shape up and believe in Christ. Wait, wait, wait. The, the gospel is not shape up and believe. It's just believe. The good news is you don't have to shape up before you believe. Let God do the shaping up. Let God be the sanctifier, the changer. We don't do anything. We come to the table with nothing in our hands that we bring. So let's be cautious in our presentations that we we don't confuse salvation. It's us doing something to get saved. We don't present it that way. It's It's you doing nothing. Take the gift of faith and believe. And that's not created by you. And then I put down, because I just couldn't get away from it, let Calvinistic principles live. It's like, some of you who understand that those doctrines, John Calvin would hate probably that we even mention his name in the service, but his, his, his students, 50 years after he died, were in this big controversy with uh, Jacob Arminius, and um, they said, we need to, 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 to write down clearly the doctrine of grace because Arminius doesn't get it. And so the acrostic for it was tulip total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of saints. Those are called the five principles of Calvinism, even though he was dead before they were developed. And You see them all in this chapter because they call those the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace are here. Where, who did grace go to? To Naaman. He's totally depraved. He's outside the church, outside the nation, outside of anything that would resemble the grace of God, except that little Jewish girl happens in his house and presents the gospel. So He's totally depraved. He had no condition in himself, unconditional election, that Elisha says, We're not taking anything from you. You have nothing that makes you attractive to God, he said, well, Look at what I got. It did nothing, we don't need nothing from you. Nothing makes you attractive, it's unconditional, it's irresistible. He tried to go away. His, his servants say, Father, you ought to just, just do it. It's like, uh, it's a little reluctant, but it's God pulling him into the water. You see, um, uh, where was I, I told the prior unconditional election, irresistible grace? T U L Irresistible grace. Okay. He, he doesn't resist. He, he gets full in. And then the perseverance. Even as somebody in charge of idol worship is he's, he's given, go in peace. You'll be safe. You'll be protected. You'll be preserved. The transformation is real. You can't get it away. So you see these doctrines of grace, they're, they're outrageous. They're offensive. We obscure them but they come nevertheless because it's omnipotent. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing grace that we have tasted. Let us dive deeper. Let us see how unbelievably gracious is our God to us to transform us and not charge us, to clean us, even when we think the cleansing would make us dirty. Father, we we just thank you. Forgive us for, for obscuring this beautiful attribute of our God, but may we be those who are caught up in ceaseless praise for you and your grace, both now and forever. Father, if there are those in this room that have never seen grace like this and they realize like Naaman, that's what I need. I'm in a dark spot and I need to be delivered. Father, grant them that grace today. Reach them right where they are. Give them faith that they might believe and be cleansed. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.